Some of y'all really need to calm it down. You got real hype. It's good to see some young people that recognize the song. Some of you older ones, you're like, back in the 80s, ladies, your hair's all puffed up again. Guys, your hair's all long, right? Who sang the song? I was waiting for the person that was... No, Run DMC did not sing the song. Aerosmith ran and sang the song and they did a remix. All right, so you guessed it. Today we're starting a new series and it is called... Walk This Way. That's right. Walk This Way. And look, our, our series that we're starting today is based upon a letter written by a guy named James. It's what we know today is the book of James. And you would think, uh, you know, this guy James, let me just give you a little quick background on this guy James. James was the brother of um, a, a person that we all know in history known as Jesus, but not just any Jesus, not Jesus from the block. The one you broke, you grew up with. Not little JJ, that was your buddy. Talking about Jesus Christ. He was the younger brother, one of the younger brothers of Jesus Christ. Now you would think that it sounds like this guy would have every reason to believe and follow Jesus from the start, right? I mean, can you imagine what it, would, what it must have been like for James growing up as Jesus' little brother? Think about this. At the age of 12 years old, you guys have to turn back after three days being way out and go back to find your brother Jesus and everybody's in awe of what he's saying. They're amazed and you're going, that's my brother. You got to think about it. Growing up with this brother that obviously we have to conclude got some special treatment from his parents because they knew that he was the savior of the world, right? So growing up with Jesus and you would think that this guy, James, would know that Jesus is Lord. Well, the truth is that John chapter 7, verse 5, tells us differently. It says, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. Did you get that? Growing up with Jesus, seeing all these great things, after seeing miracles as adults and watching him do all these amazing things, Speaking the word of God in a way that they had never heard. Amazing crowds. They did not believe that he was the Christ. So it would kind of throw us for a loop, if you really think about it, where we would say, well, why are we even interested in hearing from this guy James then? Why are we looking to the letter of James, what's known today as the book of James? And the reason why is because this unbelieving brother called James later went on to call Jesus, his brother, his Lord. He went on to call him the Christ. He went on, as a matter of fact, to become the leader of the church at Jerusalem that declared that Jesus was his Lord and taught the Jews about the Christ. And so the reason why I bring that up is because James didn't start off believing in Jesus. Hey, I don't know where you are in your walk. I don't know where you are in your understanding or experience with Christ. For some of us, we've been doing this for a long time. That's great. You've been growing, you've grown up in church? Great, that's awesome. Maybe you came to know Christ at a, at a certain point in your life and you've been experiencing a new walk. You've been, you've been seeing new things in life. Your life has been changing, that's awesome. Maybe you're just checking this out. Maybe this is all brand new to you. Okay, that's all right, you're there. Maybe you've, you've, you've never known Jesus. Listen, at this point, I'm glad you're here because we're all walking in a certain way. We're all going somewhere in life. 
But the truth is that we have to look at the truth that's revealed in the scriptures today. I'm not here trying to convince you of anything. My job is not to give you my opinion. My job is here to simply point you to truth that we're going to see here. And it's not my truth. It's the word of God. It's God's truth. And so the reason why we're going to start off here today is because while this guy James started not believing, he later went on not only to believe, but to grow greatly. And so just to give you some, uh, some background here, uh, I want to start off by asking you a question. Have you ever found yourself in a difficult situation? Just wave at me if you've ever found yourself in a difficult... Some of you are straight up lying, right? We've all been there, right? We've all been there, right? I'm not talking about, for you uh, younger folk, or maybe some of us older folk, I'm not talking about your Wi-Fi going out. I'm not talking about your social media crashing because you posted a video with a song that you had no copyrights to. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about waking up in the morning and not having your first cup of coffee. I'm sorry, I got a little bent out of shape there. Coffee is life. Coffee is important. There's a whole book in the Bible dedicated to it. It's called Hebrews. He brews it. Alright? So coffee is important. No, let's get back to, to, to getting serious here. Let's get back to the text. Listen, I'm not talking about those little things that we get frazzled about. I'm talking about real difficulty. I'm talking about a place of difficulty that leaves you feeling uncertain. A place of difficulty that poses adversity. A place of difficulty that maybe brings you to a place of questioning everything that you put your hope in. A place of difficulty that even challenges what you know to be true. What you believe in God. See, that's the kind of place that the people that James is writing to find themselves in at this juncture when this letter was written. That's where they were. These people were Christians. They believed in Jesus. But here's the thing. How many of you appreciate having AC today, right? It's pretty cool, right? How many of you appreciate being able to walk in and say, I'm a Christian, and walk out and say, I'm a Christian, right? You know, back in those days, they couldn't congregate like this publicly. They couldn't do it. As a matter of fact, in those days, at the, writings, uh, uh, at the writing of James, these people were being hunted down, persecuted, killed for their faith. How's, how's that for Christianity? And yet, James starts this letter and meets them right where they are. See, God impressed something upon his heart. He says, you know all those difficulties that you've been through through all these years, all those challenges to your own faith? Well, hey, I need you to, I'm inspiring you, I'm placing this upon your heart because I need you to speak to my people about this place of difficulty that they find themselves in, about the doubts that they're undergoing, about the challenges that they're facing. Can I just be honest with you? Whether you've been doing this for a while, walking with Jesus, or this is all brand new to you, maybe this is your first time hearing about Jesus or even having an interest in knowing about it. Let me just be straight up with you. Following Jesus, a life of faith in God, is not an invitation to peaches and creams. Let me just say that. Let me just put that out there. It is not an invitation to ah, float. Or walk on water. Listen, there are challenges in life. 
But the invitation to a life with Christ, to follow God, is one that will bring you through challenges and will keep you in a place where you are standing. And so it's interesting that James starts off in the book of James, in chapter 1, addressing the experience of difficulty. And he says some very interesting things. And I want to just invite you to up your game. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. A couple of years back, uh, actually, no, not even a couple of years. Last year, I went to uh, Colorado for a couple of days uh, to a conference with a buddy of mine who was running it and all that. And I was out there and, and I was flying into Colorado Springs. And the first thing you know, you notice when you're flying into Colorado Springs is mountains. There are mountains everywhere. And I, I don't know, we were 10,000, 20,000 feet up in the air. And I'm fly, we're flying in and I'm looking out the window and I'm going, man, those are some really cool mountains. I felt really big actually because they look really small from my vantage point. But then as we were landing and we got to the tarmac, uh, it was one of those airports where you had to get off the plane, literally walk out on the tarmac, get your bag, and then walk through some doors and all that to a bus. And so I'm walking, and I'm looking at these same mountains that I was just looking at, and they look huge. You know, trials in life, difficulties in life are kind of like that. When we begin to see them from a higher plane, when we begin to see them from a greater perspective, let me put it to you this way. When you begin to see and approach life and trials from the vantage point of what God declares according to his truth, those problems will seem a whole lot smaller. As a matter of fact, they will become a whole lot smaller. But it's when we bring it down and we step outside of what the truth reveals that we begin to operate on a lower plane. And the problems, the trials of life seem a whole lot bigger. And so here's my invitation to you this morning. My invitation is not to convince you of something. My invitation to you is simply this, that you would consider the truth. Consider these truth principles and that you would see for yourself how you've been approaching trials and that you would see that God has a better way that it would elevate you in your life and that you would begin to walk at a higher plane with God. Is that all right? Amen. Amen. All right. So I want to start off today by giving you a simple statement. Today, I want to talk to you about the truth about trials. The truth about trials. There is a truth when it comes to trials. And so whether you're going through something or not, whether you believe in God or not, I guarantee you that if you will consider the truth today, you will never see trials the same way. As a matter of fact, I guarantee you that you'll be stronger in the midst of trials. As a matter of fact, I guarantee you that you will overcome trials in a quicker capacity. You will be stronger. You will see yourself in the, in the ability of God and you will see that you can overcome whatever trials you're facing. Hi, anybody excited about that? Yeah. Amen. All right, good. I'm glad you, I'm glad, I'm glad some of you are excited. I'm glad some of you are excited. But I, I, I want to, I want you to consider this statement as we start here, that the trials of life present an opportunity to produce something good. Wait, I came to church. This is the first time you're inviting me. And this preacher is telling me that there's something good in my problems. What? What kind of church is this? 
Slow down. Whoa. Walk this way. Talk this way. Let me stop. Let's not go back to Run DMC and Aerosmith. I want you to think about this. These were people that were being persecuted. These were people. I'm not talking about their feelings were being hurt. I'm talking about these people were under immense harsh abuse. They were hunted. They were killed. And these people were not even openly meeting like we are today. They moved from place to place. They endured hunger, lack. They were confronted with constant uncertainty. And in the midst of this, James is inspired by God to write a letter to them that till this day is intended to speak to us. And check out what he says to them in James chapter 1, verse 2, as an introduction. He says, consider it pure joy. He's talking about a joy that is complete. Joy at its very best. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. You know what that word joy there speaks of in the original language that this was written? A celebration. Get this. How's that for an opening in the midst of your trials? How's that for encouraging your faith? Hey, man, I'm going through a tough time. Let's celebrate. Party over here, 7 p.m. in my house. We're celebrating my problems. (laughs) Bring a plate. We're having a potluck. How's that for encouragement? He tells them in the midst of their trials, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of constant threat of death, he says to them, hey, rejoice. Celebrate, which beckons us to consider a question. Why would God say that to you and I? And watch verse three and four, what he says. He says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. I just want to stop there for a moment. I want you to think about something. The Bible says, God says to us right here, here's here's a truth for us. That in the midst of trials, something is tested. Anybody here believe in God? Let me tell you something. According to the scripture, that will be tested. Anybody believe that God is faithful? That is tested. But when is it tested? Is it tested when it's all peaches and creams? Is it tested when I'm good? Oh, praise the Lord, brother. Hallelujah. I'm so blessed and highly favored. That's awesome. Yes, you are. Yes, we are. But listen, tests, what we believe and what we know to be the truth can only be proven in the midst of a test. Now, here's what I didn't say. Because some people will take this truth right here and twist it to a whole complete different doctrine. What they'll say is God brought that sickness upon you because he's trying to teach you something. That is not in scripture. That's not truth. And we'll see that in a second. But I want you to begin to see something that when trials come, there's an opportunity for faith to prove itself true. Hmm. And so going back to verse three into verse four, he says, because you know that the testing of your faith, it produces something. It produces perseverance. That speaks of strength. That speaks of patience. That speaks of an ability to continue to go on, to endure In verse 4, he says, let perseverance 
finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Did you get that? In the midst of your trial, let faith continue to work. Another portion of scripture puts it this way. Having done all to stand, stand. Right? And so in the midst of trials, the Bible says, don't give up on what you know to be true. No, continue to apply it. Continue to press forward. Continue to stand. Don't let up. Don't back up. Don't give up. Why? Because there's a surety in the midst of it. It will produce something in you. Something called maturity and growth. Maturity and growth. And I love what verse 4 says. It says that when you mature and you come to completion, watch what it says, you will lack nothing. Lack nothing. Hmm. See, if we think about what the scriptures are revealing to us here, trials are an opportunity to grow up. Trials are an opportunity to grow up. I think about my, my future daughter in love. So she's not, she's not going to be your daughter-in-law. She's going to be your daughter-in-love. Okay, all right. I'll, I'll get cheesy and mushy with that. My daughter-in-love. My future daughter-in-law, Hannah, um, who some, many of you know, she's downstairs with our bridge kids right now. My son, they get married in October. Um, it's a joyous time. It's a joyous occasion. But, you know, I, I was thinking about Hannah as I was studying this and I was looking at these verses because Hannah is a farmer. Hannah went to school for farming. How about that? A farmer in a Hispanic family. It doesn't get any better than God. God just has a sense of humor. It amazes me. You, you'd be surprised. It amazes me. I'll tell you one thing. I'll never lack lettuce. It amazes me how excited Hannah gets about digging holes, about tilling land, about sweating under a scorching sun. She loves it. But here's the thing. She's not rejoicing because of the hard work. She's rejoicing through the hard work because she knows that there's a great harvest to come. Starting to get the picture here, what I'm talking about? James isn't talking about rejoicing at the trial. He's not talking about, praise God, I'm going through some financial difficulty. Woo! It's not what he's talking about. He's talking about, here's the trial. But man, there's something to be produced through this as I continue to stand upon my belief in a God who is faithful and true and just and will not turn back on his word to me. You see why James says, rejoice, celebrate. There's an opportunity for growth for us through trials. See, in order to be secure in what you believe, have you ever thought about this, that it has to be tested? It has to be tested. How'd you conclude two plus two equals four? That got tested over and over and over. And if you were me when I was in first grade, it was over and 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 over again. And then again some more. But it has to be tested 
See, it's easy to believe in God and trust in God when everything is good, but there's very little growth potential there. I'm not saying that you're not growing when things are good with God. Absolutely, you're growing. You're growing in many ways. But there's a greater potential for growth when trials come because you put to the test and you prove what you know to be true. You know to be true. And so trials are an opportunity to grow up. Think about it this way. Growth and maturity occur when what we believe is tried and tested. I, uh, I remember a couple of years back, my daughter was in high school, and I was contemplating the thought of putting her, giving her my, my wife's car and getting my wife another car. And of course, she was excited. She had an opportunity to rejoice. Boy, did she not know the trial that was about to come. So I took the opportunity to teach her. You know, that's what dads do. We teach them, right? So we get in the car and we would go first around the complex where we live and she would go around, right? And she'd come around the other way and it was fine. Then one day I had the bright idea. I'm taking her out and I took her to this place um, right off of a 17K, right behind that big dealership on the intersection of 17K and 300. And uh, take her to this uh, parking lot of this place that used to be a bank that got closed down and now it's another bank. And so we were in there and you know, had a going around in circles and then going the other way and practicing the turns. And then I said, all right, we're going out onto the road. And so another time we come down, we're coming down 300. She's doing fine. She's scared to death. Cars are coming. People are honking. You know, people just, us people, we don't have patience for people who are learning how to drive. Well, that was the day. That was what it was looking like. And I just, just keep it steady. Just keep going. We get to the corner of 317K. She makes it right. She gets the speed up. Our car's coming this way from the opposite lane, right? Everything's fine. And all of a sudden, I don't know what got into her. She jumps the curve. Boom, 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 boom. Right? And we're, we're heading towards the bank. And I'm like, don't slam the brakes. Pump them. Pump the brakes. Pump the brakes. Stop the car. Pump the brakes. We finally skid to a stop. Talk about a trial. Tell you why I share that story with you. You know when you've become a better driver? You know how you become a better driver? It's by navigating through the very things that scare the living daylights out of you when you first started driving. Think about this. You all drive. Well, not all of you. Hopefully not all of you. Because some of you, I've heard about you driving. But anyway, we're driving, right? Some of us are driving. And I want you to think about this. As you're driving, you're still facing the same things. Cars are coming from the opposite direction. You still have people that honk their horns. You still have people that cut you off. You still have people that, you know, kind of blow some smoke at you as they're driving by you, whatever. We still face all those same things. But what's the difference? The difference is that we've gone through these same things that are challenging when driving over and over again. And every single time we're proving and trying and testing and knowing that what we know about driving is true. And in the midst of that, here's what happens. The trials don't stop. My point with that is simply this. In the midst of trials, the reason why we should look at them as an opportunity for growth is because in the midst of it, as we try and test and prove what God's word declares, we grow in greater confidence 
and we can overcome. That makes sense? Amen? Amen. So I want to give you some things here as we're wrapping up today uh, about the truth about navigating through trials. And we're going to stay right here in the book of James for a little bit, and we're going to look at verses 5 through 8. And I want to start off by simply telling you this, that if you're going to navigate through trials according to Scripture, seek wisdom. Seek wisdom. Seek wisdom. Let's look at verse 5 in James chapter 1. It starts off by saying, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. Hey, have you ever thought about this? That when you're facing trials, we're all on the same level playing field in this. We're all seeking a solution. We're all wanting an answer to something. We're all trying to find it. We may not go about it the same way. So there's a common denominator when facing trials. And that common denominator is to seek a solution for the problem at hand. And when in trials, the one thing that we need is wisdom. Notice that I didn't say information. Wisdom. See, wisdom is godly. Wisdom is from God. I'm not talking about the wisdom you get from Wikipedia. You know that that can be edited, right? That, 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 that's changing. Don't go by that. I'm talking about wisdom from God. And I want you to consider that the context here of this writing is about overcoming trials. And James says this, inspired by God. He says, when you're in those trials, do this. Seek wisdom. Ask for it. Ask for it. You know, if you're like me at some point, a different juncture of my life, Here's what what that looked like. God, I'm seeking you for an answer. God, grant me wisdom. Hey, Maurice, what do you think about that? Right? And Maurice is like, man, I love it, man. You should just do it. Hey, Miguel, what what do you think I should do? And then I'm going on Google, and then I'm asking this person. It's like a, a, a breaker went off in heaven, and we need to help God along the way. Like there's not sufficient power in God's hand to do something. My point with that is simply this, that if we're going to seek wisdom from God, Notice what the scripture says. It says, don't doubt. Don't approach seeking wisdom from God in a way where you're saying, well, God, I believe that you've got an answer for me and I see what you're telling me in your word, but I don't know about that one. See, that's not going to work. According to the scripture, it says that what happens is we begin to live life like the wind and the waves. We're just tossed to and fro wherever it takes us. In Mark chapter 4, and we're not going to really read the text, but we'll allude to a portion of it. It talks of a time where Jesus is in a boat with his disciples and Jesus is asleep. And the disciples, they're doing what they do. They're, these guys are fishermen. They're on the seas. They're riding high. And all of a sudden, it gets a little cloudy, a little stormy. And as it's getting all stormy and everything, it gets a little windy. And all of a sudden, this boat begins to take on a little extra water. And as it's beginning to take on more water and it's getting windier, they're beginning to notice that the boat is beginning to sink just a bit. And they begin to freak out. And so now they're all concerned about dying. And this one guy gets the bright idea and he runs to Jesus. He says, hey, Jesus, don't you care that we're about to die? You know what he was really saying? Don't you care that I'm about to die? He wasn't concerned with the rest of the guys. 
He was concerned with him. He wasn't even concerned for Jesus. He's concerned for himself. And in the midst of that, the Bible says that Jesus gets up and he steps out into the open boat. Mark chapter 4, verses 40 and 41, it says that he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Notice the first thing that Jesus didn't do when he comes out. He doesn't even look to the wind of the waves. He addresses the real storm. He says, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? Let me just take a very crucial point, a moment here with you. Because I really believe that some of you here maybe need to hear this. Maybe God's speaking to you right now. Maybe it's very, for the very first time. Why are you so afraid? Why are you so worried? Why are you so weighed down? The storm isn't what's happening. It's not the trials. It's what's happening right here. What are you believing at this very moment in the midst of the challenges you're facing with your kids and your marriage and your career and the decisions you're facing for your future and, and your hopes that you had in people and your, the hope that you have in God and maybe what you've experienced in church? At that very moment, Jesus says, why are you so afraid? He says, do you still have no faith? Jesus addresses the true storm, the storm that lied within And he was the answer to the end of the storms in their lives. They just didn't get it. So if you're going to seek wisdom, here's what I'm saying. Don't seek God for just anything. Seek God to know him. Seek God to know his wisdom. Seek God to know the direction for your life. It'll calm every storm. It'll silence every every fear. It'll overcome every challenge that you've internalized in your heart. It'll give you the ability to get to the other side. You know what their issue was? If you read the story out, Jesus told them, we're going to the other side. They forgot that. They forgot what God had told them was going to happen. And so instead of relying upon that wisdom, they relied upon their fears. They relied upon the storms. I want to encourage you, as we go into the next portions of James, back in James chapter 1, to take the high road when navigating through trials. I'll tell you what I'm talking about. Let's look at the scriptures in verse 9 through 12. It goes on to say, Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. Let me just address something here real quick. This can be very confusing if we take it outside of the context of what we're reading. What the word of God is addressing here is not rich people and poor people. It's not talking about people who've got money and people who don't got money. It's not talking about people who are well off and people who are in poverty. It's talking about people in the midst of trials that have something or lack something. It's addressing two types of people. And so let's continue reading here. It goes on to say in verse 11, For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossoms uh, fall and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those 
who love him. Again, keep in mind that James is addressing trials here and overcoming them. He's not talking about rich and poor people. He's talking about people who remain humbled to what the word of God has declared to them, to what God has promised. And those that rise above that and rely heavily upon all that they seem to think is a resource. What they think enriches them. How about friends? How about people? How about money? How about, uh, uh, you know, uh, your home or the things you possess? He's talking about people who put a confidence in the abundance of what they have in life. And I love the way James 4, 7 puts it. And we're going to be looking at this in the next couple of weeks. But he goes on to say this. He says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Let me say something to you here. The humble remain in submission to God's word. They put their trust in what God declares. They're confident in God's faithfulness and they're fixed upon doing what's right according to God. The proud, on the other hand, do the opposite. Their trust is in the abundance of what they rely on. And as a result, according to scripture, when we're not relying upon God, here's what we are doing. We're submitting not to God. We're submitting to the very devices of the enemy that seek to implement destruction in our lives. Hear this. The high road is one where you put complete trust in God instead of putting complete trust in things. And many times in trials, what we do is we approach them from the standpoint where it's so big in our eyesight, in our heart, in our fears, that those trials humble us. When in reality, our trials are meant to be humbled before us because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Because he leads you in a triumphant trail of victory is what scripture says. And so take the high road. Don't stoop down to the trial and go, oh my God, what am I going to do? You've just created a mountain that's meant to be a molehill in your life. In James uh, chapter 1, verses 13 and 15, he addresses something. God addresses something, a misconception that's common even to this day. Verse 13 says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. Did you get that? When you're tempted, when you're going through in in the midst of a trial, it says, God is not tempting me. It says, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and entice. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. There's a tendency to assign fault in trials. It's their fault. It's your fault. It's her fault. If I had it, this fault. And it's God's fault. And what God is simply addressing here is this misconception. Don't blame me for your trials. And here's what he's also saying. There are some trials that we create. And when we create those trials, don't point it on God. Take responsibility for it. Take responsibility. But you know what you do from that point? You begin to move forward. Don't ever blame God. He doesn't create trials for us to undergo. And when you are the cause, own it. My fault did it. Let's move on from here. And lastly, as we close out today, and I'm leaving you in a cliffhanger. It's this, get to the root when you're struggling 
in a trial. What are you talking about, Pastor Jose? What, what root? What are we referring to here? I want you to see something in verse 16 through 18. It says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Notice what he's addressing. Deception in the midst of trial. You know, we begin to believe some things in the midst of tough times. We begin to believe things like, I can't. We, we, we begin to believe things like, I'm destined to fail. We begin to believe things like, this is an impossible situation. We begin to believe all these other things. And so God here is addressing unto us. He says, don't be deceived, but don't be deceived about what? He says, every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. Notice that God is producing something in the life of believers. But notice how he does it. Through the word of truth. That we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. In times when we're going through difficult situations and struggling with navigating through them, the root of it comes down to an absence of truth. Think about this. Everything that God seeks to produce in our lives happens as a result of truth operating in our lives. Have you ever stopped to ask yourself this question when going through a difficult time? What's the truth here? I'm not talking about what's the truth about your problem. No, what does the truth say in the midst of my problem? Next week, I want to encourage you to be here again. But I also want to encourage you to bring someone with you. I'm going to tell you why. Because this guy, James, had some great insight from the word of God. This guy went from unbelieving to believing. This guy went from trials and still going through trials to standing in the midst of trials. And this book, this letter of James that he wrote to the people back then and is still written unto us to this day speaks so greatly. It, it, it simplifies a walk with God to such a great extent. And not only do you and I need it, but so do other people. And so I'm going to give you a preclude to next week. Next week, we're going to be talking about slowing down. Slow it down. And I'm going to give you just a little insight as to where we're going. Have you ever thought about the fact that the Bible says in the book of James that we are to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger? But let me ask you a question that I'm not going to answer. Quick to listen to what? There's a key here to life, to faith. And I want to encourage you, be here next week because I guarantee you it will strengthen you, it will help you, it will not only touch your life, but it will touch the lives of those that you bring with you. Amen? Amen? Let's stand. Heavenly Father, we come to you today in the mighty and precious name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your truth that is revealed to us this day in your word. Father, today, I pray for these, your people. Your word says that faith comes by hearing and that hearing comes by the word of God. And so, Lord, today, I thank you for all.
open ears, open hearts, minds that understand the truth. I thank you that minds today are renewed, that hearts are transformed, that people's lives are strengthened, that situations begin to change because we no longer leave here with an understanding that trials overtake us. We understand that we are truly what the Word of God says, that we are more than conquerors, that we can live in triumph in life that we can overcome father today i thank you that we your people leave here with a greater understanding and the trials are no longer mountains but they are molehills father i thank you that today your truth which is embedded upon our hearts it will produce great fruit and that from this day forward as we face trials we will see the opportunity we will look for the opportunity for faith to work and produce greater things in our lives thank you for that